This is a good day in the world of Rebel Media because they're letting me, Jude St. John, open up this show. So uh, we're happy to be here for another episode uh, on the uh, Rebel Alliance podcast. And uh, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to be starting the show out. I'm here with, as always, Nate and Chris. How's it going? Hey, it's good Look to have you, you moving on up in the world. Well, Jim. you know, it's uh, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction. I think it's, we're gonna we're gonna have to get you a T-shirt that says Rebel Four. So uh, you guys have T-shirts? We will. <laughs> oh, nice. How about jerseys? Nice. Uh, we'll see. Jerseys. Okay. We also have uh, <laughs> Drew Drew Fess, who's been on the show before with us uh, this afternoon, and uh, good to have you here, Drew. Thanks for having me. So uh, that's the introduction. But what are we talking about, guys? Well, let's start, as always, uh, with an opening question. But before we do that, we want to remind you guys to like us, share us on Facebook. Feel free to comment if you disagree with something we say or if you agree with something we say. And uh, also give us a follow on Instagram or Twitter. And if you're on iTunes, you can download our podcast automatically every single week when we put them out. But remember to give us a rating and a writer review for us. That helps us tremendously get the gospel message out. So the opening question today for you guys is a bit of a funny one. I expect so, nothing less. <laughs> this is how we go. It's not about superheroes, I promise. But if you're at home and the doors are all shut and they're locked, so just like um, in, in Acts, and Jesus was to manifest himself in your house right before dinner on any given night, what are you going to feed him? Bacon. Now, <laughs> you know no what? No hesitation at all. You know, that uh, sounds like... Jesus was Jewish. <laughs> New covenant, though, right? <laughs> okay, right. But I think the point you're making is clean. right. I don't think he ever had pork. And so we throw that bacon out like everyone... So you're going to blow his mind. So now he hasn't had bacon ever, and he's going to try it for the first time. He, you are, he's going to be happy. He is going to love this, and you're going to serve him just what he wanted. Now, deep question. If if Jesus, uh, Colossians, tells us that through him all things were created, does he know what bacon tastes like, never well, having experienced? Well, I think he does now, but I think in his earthly life, in heaven or? yeah, I think in his earthly life he didn't, right? He he didn't access those parts of his divinity uh, in terms of his, uh, I, I don't think he did, in terms of his all-knowingness. Right. Uh, he didn't know everything as a human being. He, he still had that within his divinity, but he, he didn't use, uh, you know, if you could use that term, and so so I think while he was walking the earth, he didn't know what bacon tasted what, like. But what is the history of bacon? Like when, wh- who, who thought I'm going to cut up a pig and fry it? Because they're amazing. They're amazing. I just feel like it's something that came from the Reformation. I have nothing to <laughs> back that up, but I, I feel like that's something like Now, are you giving them good like... Like breakfast bacon, like we all know, or are you giving them like Canadian bacon, well, back th- bacon? Yeah, I mean, I think you could you could multiple multiple levels of bacon here, <laughs> multiple courses, <laughs> a multi course bacon meal. You know, um, you're yeah. just giving them bacon though, nothing else with it. Like, well, you know, I stick in it, processed cheese <laughs> just to see his reaction. <laughs> you know, like what does he think about craft singles, really? <laughs> There's and a just see what he does. There's a group that. of guys in our church. Once a year, they get together and they call the uh, the night everything bacon, and everybody brings bacon dishes. And you would think it's just it's a mind blowing. Nice. It is like the bacon like dish. very creative, oh, unique it's insane. uses of it's bacon. It's insane. Yeah. Wow. You're invited if you want to come. Nice. Yeah. I love it. What would you yeah. guys feed them? Well, okay. So part of me would would love to say like you know steak. You know I'm thinking of my favorite meals that I'd like to give them. 
Uh, there's certain things you wouldn't give them, right? Like like I'm, bacon. <laughs> <laughs> I, to be honest with you, pork was on my list. I, I uh, Jude went a different way with that. Um, I would say I'm not giving him sushi either. I mean, he grew up with the Sea of Galilee. He ate fish all the time, and all he'd look at is say, I, "We used to cook it." <laughs> but but um, I would probably give him something. So along the lines of the craft singles, something that uh, that wasn't around that that he. I'm honestly, I'm ordering pizza. Right. And I'm, I'm doing pizza with them. That's solid. Yeah. And so, and honestly, so it, uh, we'll throw it out there. I, I'm, I'm serving them pizza and beer. That's really? The, yeah, man. I, then not only is it a great story, I had a, I had a beer with Jesus, but, uh, unless I, I he think, refuses to drink it and then you've got a problem. Well, and then I know I'm in sin, right? So <laughs> I've, I've, do you really want to do it? Want that up on the table? Oh, no, he's oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> I would go tacos. Only Ooh, because nice. tacos, yeah. That's only because nice. tacos are a staple in our home. So, and I'm just everything taco burrito. So, yeah, taco. Yeah. That's a good. What if and you? It'd be interesting to see whether or not Jesus eats a taco messy. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, perfect human. Is he eat? Like, does the does the shell crack? Does it all fall apart in his hands like it does mine? Or <laughs> a, a perfect taco <laughs> does a, fall it, apart though. You know, that's the thing. Too well made. It's not good. You want and, a little bit of. And there's like, participation. You know, it's yeah. more than just. You know, yeah, you're getting your hands in yeah. the same. Part of the fun is the challenge of how not to spill on yourself. I fail that one every time. What about feeding him something you don't like so that it's reinforced? So, you know, you give him salad and he's like, nah, this is pretty weak. And you say, see? Right. See, this my, is... My fear with that, though, is if you, like... That'll like it. That's what your fear right, is. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, like, what if I feed him something vegetarian he's, and he's kale, all for it? Yeah, yeah. Kale quinoa kale. salad. Yeah. First of all, I don't think Jesus would like that. But if he did, that would didn't, be heart-wrenching. Didn't somebody write a book, What Would Jesus Eat or The Jesus Diet? Yeah, or that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the Jesus Diet. What, was bacon in it? <laughs> no, bacon I, I don't was think bacon in it. was in it. But yeah. um, the, other, the other thing that... So what you could give him is like, you go like straight on, give him the Brussels sprouts or something like that. But again, if, if he's liking what I dislike, then you're going to have to reassess. It's Jesus, right? That's a problem. So yeah. I, can't, I can't believe I'm the, I'm the only one who went with burgers, fries, and a beer. Like, so you, I know you said beer, but burger? Yeah, how that's you, pretty, how, that's good. He has never had that. I can put the bacon on the burger. Trust the processed cheese. So he's getting all those things, all those layers. Fair enough, fair enough. And he's eating a burger, which I like, which I can cook pretty well. So, you know. If, if any of our listeners are sitting there and they were thinking about this question and they were thinking like some sort of protein shake, that's a problem, <laughs> a eh? sm- That's a smoothie. problem. Yeah, you need to work on your sanctification. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Yeah. What, what kind of beer do you think you would drink? Um, it's a good question. An IPA? Well... I mean, again, his, his diet was probably a lot of fish. So, I mean, a, a, a good light pilsner goes with fish. A little Coors Light. If you give him a Coors Light, I'm fairly confident he'd just wave his hand and becomes an innocent gun. Is that true? He's like, no. Uh, he would not be better. multiplying the Coors Light as we were saying. <laughs> <laughs> he, would not, he would not be making more. There, there, that, that's actually another. We, nobody went this way with the, the conversation. So you get something really expensive for Jesus. Get him a filet mignon or something like that. And then he multiplies it for you. That'd be sweet. Okay. Yeah. So none of us went... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I got nothing else. <laughs> well, I don't think he. I don't think he multiplied food at every meal. I think those are a couple specific times. You don't think he's like, eh, we'll just order one combo today. I can just change this. Right, but lunch. my point is, is that I don't buy filet mignon at home because I don't make enough to feed my family filet mignon. But if I if I have one filet when Jesus gets there, you don't think he's going to multiply it and share? 
I think you, uh, I think you probably yeah, there would. You go. But he probably <laughs> but he probably also doesn't wouldn't have eaten nearly as much as us. He'd probably look at my portion size and be like, "You're in sin." <laughs> <laughs> Then, so I think what we're all saying is it'd be slightly unnerving <laughs> to have Jesus over for dinner. The, the, the most awkward part about that would be not the cooking and what you feed him. is like that moment you're sitting at the table and you're just like, so how was your day? Like, mm-hmm. it'd be or very like, like, would you be intimidated for the like pre-dinner prayer? Right? Would that be an intimidating right. Jesus? What do you? He'd be praying. He, he, <laughs> yeah, he, you guys would know. Everyone looks to, to the pastor. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, these meals that we're supposed to say grace, yeah. so we could just you know stare you at. You got him. this, yeah. Jesus. It's your turn. <laughs> On you. He would probably just do the Lord's prayer and be like, "Because I told you this is how you're supposed <laughs> <Yeah>. to pray." <laughs> and you haven't been praying. And you way. haven't done it. Ah, right. fair enough. <laughs> well, good times. Good times. So today, guys, uh, we just want to have a quick talk. We, we read and we see a lot that the church is in crisis, that the North American church, the church in general is on the, de- on the decline and our worldview is being marginalized. All it takes is a quick look at Twitter, the news, um, movies, anything, all points to the Christian worldview is on the, on the wane. So on the surface, we would say that the church is in crisis if we're looking at it through those lenses. Um, but would you guys, what would you guys say, one, are we in crisis? Is the church in a worse shape today than it has been in the 2,000 years since, since the cross? And what are some of the issues that are facing the church and Christianity today? Specifically, Christians in the workplace, Christians in their day-to-day lives, and in our church, and our church as an overall body, what are we facing? Is the church in, that's a, I mean, it's a good question. It's funny, I... Uh, have been giving some time just academically even to this idea of exile and the shifts we're seeing in Canadians, especially among millennials. It's hard because you do, you do look at some of the num like there are stats. You wonder how much you, you wonder what you do with stats, but you know, there is, there is no doubt. I think we need to be aware um, that there is these shifts uh, among, uh, there's two groups we, I've kind of been looking at the last year, the nuns, which are people now that have now would say in a survey that they have no religious affiliation. Not um, nuns like sisters. Yes, right, right. Yeah, okay. So like uh, one one group said like, this is the fastest growing group. Um, I'll give you a stat. Is that all right? Yeah, go for it. Some stats. So like 1%, of, uh, 1% reported no religious affiliation uh, before 1971, that rose to 24% of adults and wow. 32% of teens in 2012. Wow. So I think we need, like, uh, I'm very hopeful um, that the church is going to be beautiful down the road. Uh, the other was just the rise of the Duns. Uh, there's a book called Church Refugees, and these guys did their whole PhD and some research on just how now there's a huge shift of people done with the church as well. Um, and we could have a conversation all day long about were those people actually, I mean, stats are stats. Were those people actually part of the church? But it said that that will become, it is now 33% of the population and will become a a growing trend. Right. So with all that, I, I'm in the middle because I think I'm not freaking out. I think Jesus is the hope of the world. Um, but I do think we need to listen in Canadian culture. We need to listen to some of this stuff as well. Yeah. Just, uh, and does, you can disagree. I, I'm, no, yeah, I'm, 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 I welcome that. It doesn't help when we disregard stats like that. I remember one time, um, listening to a, a Christian be asked the question, you, you know, this Christian was, was talking about age of the earth stuff and not to open up a can of worms, but, 
Um, and this guy was kind of you did, <laughs> and uh, and this guy was talking about dinosaur bones, and and the Christian's response was, "Well, God put those there to test your faith," which I just think is a horrible answer, and and so. Some of that is, has lent itself to this idea that Christians, we just have our heads in the sand. And so just to ignore those statistics and just say, well, that doesn't mean anything, I think would be naive of us. Uh, I definitely think that, um, I mean, we're bleeding young people specifically in the church in North America. And I think that, uh, that we need to recognize that. One thing I would say is that I think sometimes when we're looking at stats like this, you used uh, 1971. Um, was the uh, was the original stat? Sometimes I think we look uh, at at the world in too small a time increments, sure. right? You know, I, I, Chris, your original question was, you know, does the ch- church look worse today than it did two thousand years ago? And my answer to that would be absolutely not, because Jesus ascended to heaven with a handful of people in the Middle East watching sure. him go up into the clouds, and here we are talking uh, about the Bible on a Christian podcast in Thamesford, Ontario, right? So certainly not. And if we look at the the human history in kind of 500-year increments, I think you can definitely make a case for um, the the gospel um, spread uh, being uh, incredible. That said, looking at our own culture, we can definitely see that. And and I would say, you know, my parents grew up in a in a very different environment, Christian environment than I am growing up in. Right? We we talk. We've talked about uh, the Sunday used to be sacred, and now it's not sacred. Uh, we used to talk about how a Christian worldview was was kind of the uh, the unspoken norm at workplaces, and now it's definitely not. Some of the stances that we take standing on the Bible about homosexuality and, and these things make us very unpopular in our culture, and people didn't seem to be that hostile a few decades ago. So absolutely, there's there's a difference, and we'd be... I think, um, naive not to acknowledge it. I think, you know, part of the issue I have with these stats is when you talk about a decrease in attendance or, or, you know, bleeding a certain age group, what you're not telling about us is those specific people. Uh, who are these people who are leaving the churches? Committed Christians? And that's that's what I I'm very cautious. Oh, yeah, I, I think you were totally, hinting at that. Yeah, totally cautious. I think it's the ba- yeah again the balance of you know and the, so it's nuanced. And for I think sure. the the way you don't disregard the stat though is there's a problem there. But what exactly is the problem? Is the church in crisis because yeah. Christians are leaving the church? Maybe not. Maybe the indication is that they have been hearing preaching you know, that tickled their ears and now there's a bit more pressure and they decide they don't need this. And so I think that indicates a problem. What are we preaching? What are we teaching? Our people? What is our theology uh, uh, in terms of uh, being part of a church? Right. And right? Not, not only that, too, these are American. I think some of these stats are American, which there's a whole culture in the States. I mean, obviously we're Canadian, but there's a whole culture in the States that has... Christianity as its worldview, but not right. Yeah. Right. And now there's other options that just make it a whole lot easier than just being or mom and pa being religious. So right. I think there's tons, absolutely tons, yeah. tons behind it. But the big thing I think, um, is the hope of this is the church has always, it seems like has worked best from the margins yeah. and the idea of exile kind of being the motif for the day that we live is like, and I know it, we've even discussed our own church context. This is the beautiful thing about uh, the context which which I'm in, which is a smaller uh, group of people, a smaller smaller church. But it seems like God did a lot of when you talk about increments, even historically, has done his best work when the church is 
perceived through the the idea of exile and not being not being necessarily at the center. It, you just look and you you study history, you study the scriptures, yeah. whether even, I mean, even some of the, I know Walter Brueggemann talks a lot in the Old Testament about how Israel, even in and amongst their own exile, had to be creative and totally. um, uh, keeping their spiritual identity in Babylon. And uh, I think there's a lot of things that speak to us in, in the current time, which are good. Which and, are good. And there's an interesting thing that if you take the whole Bible into context, there's some some things where when when the church, right, and so I'll use the Old Testament, so use the word church because in, in Acts it talks about Moses and, and the congregation in the sure. wilderness, right? So um, talking about God's people in the Old Testament, um, you know, it's interesting because when God uh, saved his people from uh, slavery in Egypt, what's interesting is that, right, they took with them all the riches of Egypt, right? When they left, they had all the jewelry, they had all the um, stuff that they had taken from Egypt. They kind of plundered Egypt on their way out. And again, when uh, church was in exile in Babylon, um, a lot of the skills and trades that they learned in exile in Babylon served them quite well as they went back uh, under Nehemiah and Ezra. And so uh, God has this way of using, like you know, even even the idea of a synagogue for the Jewish people was totally. because of exile. The diaspora, however you want to people say it differently, yeah. but um, like was because they got pushed. That community got pushed all over the place. So to have a, a place of worship instead of it just being yeah, in Jerusalem, totally. yeah. God, God has this this the the Bible has this wonderful um, continuous theme where when it looks like you know the church or when it looks like God's plan is is uh, run amok for sure um, that's when uh, it becomes its most potent. And, and I've been saying to our crew like some of these things are good in pushing us in that sense. So like we talked, I think in our discussion before about buildings, we will probably, unless one of you want to give us one, probably <laughs> never have a building, but that's actually lent to partnership with goodwill. It's lent to some different things. Uh, our church is younger. We don't have a ton of dough. So it's forced <laughs> us to be creative. How do we do ministry? How do we put ministry actually in people's hands um, right. now where we can't, pay a lot of people. Um, it's, I don't, we use the word volunteer, but it speaks yeah. to people's understanding. Like we don't have a ton of money to pay other people. So it, it's like, if this thing is going to fly, this community is going to work for the good of God's glory in the city. You're going to have to, it's, it's a healthy thing. I think not, it's weird to think not having a lot of money is a healthy thing, right. but, but it has lent to like, um, what has been normal in the past, right. those shifts for sure. Now, I just just to explore this theme a little bit of of kind of some of the difficulty that we find ourselves in as a North American church actually being a good thing, I'll just throw the question kind of back at you, Chris, because, um, you know, working outside of the church, sometimes we as pastors, we can get kind of our, our, our uh, church goggles on. Sure. Um, but Chris, uh, working outside of the church and working in the secular environment, you know, how has some of the hostility towards the Christian worldview actually worked into helping you in your evangelism i it all it all helps because the the at the at the core we actually have the truth right so it's it's not easy but people all suppress that truth right so in in a culture where everything seems to be going one way when you stand opposed to that and you can point out the ridiculousness of of a worldview that doesn't make any sense. So, right. you know, 
not to open cans of words, but like changing your gender, things like that, where people see that and not necessarily, that isn't something that everybody naturally agrees with, right? right. So where you can point out where there's, there is a, a different opinion and ours is based on truth. It becomes actually quite easy in your evangelist because people do want to get your, your feedback on these, on these subjects. And something Drew was saying earlier is that we, we look at the church and we look at things like evangelism as if, as if it's going to get hurt by the fact that there are opposing views. Like we don't, we don't, we aren't control in control of God's glory and God's church being grow. God is sovereign. And if we, if we trust in those promises that God will glorify himself, God will keep a people for himself like a remnant and he will grow his body. And we believe in those things. Then it isn't up to us to be clever or anything. All we have to do is be, be honest and truthful of what the Bible says. And so in a workplace environment, when I get pushback because they like refer to us as like crazy right wing or very conservative, I say, yes, I am. And there's a reason for that. It's because I believe this book to be truth and our worldview should always be filtered through that book. It's interesting because when we when we think about uh, kind of differing worldviews, and, and the truth is this question kind of comes on the heels of the Christian worldview being looked at and mocked in our day, which which I think in a lot of ways it is. You only have to watch any late night television, you know, show, the uh, the uh, Conan O'Briens of the world and, and the Jimmy Kimmels of the world, and, and you hear, you know, our worldview mocked all the time. But um, I think sometimes Christians forget that it was, it was a— uh, it was the Christians who invented uh, religious liberty, right? Like we, we were the ones who said it's a good idea for everybody to believe, be able to believe in what we believed. And, and the reason we were at the forefront of pushing for religious liberty in North America is because we, made, we believe that the Christian worldview is the only one that makes sense. Right, and so sometimes Christians are like, we get scared when people push back, and if we believe, if what we believe is really true, then we want all the views to be out there because Christianity will rise to the top if it's if it's what's true. And so sometimes we just forget that it was it was our forefathers who fought for religious liberty because they believed that if there was a true uh, open market for religion, Christianity comes to the top. So uh, I, I think sometimes we just get scared of, of the fact that we might get pushed back. And, and I think this, it just speaks to the average Christian not knowing how to engage in those kinds of conversations. You know, I think, you know, even hearing from, from what Drew said uh, about his context, it really makes me wonder, uh, do these questions, are we really asking the right question here? I don't think it's a really, for the North American church, it's a matter of crisis. crisis. It's more a matter of comfort. Right? We, right. we we don't have the money coming in that we want to have coming in. We don't have the buildings that we're used to having. We don't have the influence right. that we're used to having. We actually have to, you know, articulate our position now and argue for it. Um, this is what most Christians in the world have to do. Right? right? This, is, sure. this is what the majority of Christianity has been. We live in this anomaly, you know, called North America over the past couple hundred years. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like, no, we're not in crisis. This is, this is Christianity. This is what it's supposed to be about. And what we've experienced maybe up to this point has been, you know, living in a bit of a dream world. I agree. I think too, um, man, I feel like with the options, which, you know, the the plethora of worldviews and stuff, 
and you saying like the Jesus worldview will rise to the top. I agree. I think when that's not force, what you get is you get legitimate followers of Jesus. Right, and I think right, the tension right. again, going back like with some of the stats and stuff is it's, it, it's easy for people to make people numbers. But when you look at like, that's why I'm so hopeful when we talk about yeah. crisis, I don't, I, I, I think we need to look realistically, but I do sense like even in our own context now for somebody in their 20s and 30s who's been now immersed in a world of having information accessible, you know, that the world has changed in so many ways, for them to follow Jesus um, uh, with heart, soul, mind, and strength to me is like there's a legitimacy now to the the real community of people that want right, to follow Jesus, right. like kind of saying yes. It just, is it, is it almost better that it's, <laughs> it sounds funny, but is it better that it's easier to have other options when, you know, if you're truly following Jesus, you're going to, you're going to be a part of the, the kingdom and the church and what God's doing. Yeah. Now that, now the pressure isn't to conform to the church. It's like if you, if you follow the church, you're, you're doing it out of a sincere, right. More, more often than not a sincere desire. You guys would to... use the word regenerated, which is <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I would too, you know, like yeah. I, I would too, but you know, like I think, and this has probably been seen more in America, but not to, yeah. I mean, growing up in the church, uh, is that other option not a bad thing? You know, right. like, you know, it kind of can stop playing a religious game or whatever. Yeah. 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 There's, there's beautiful things. Removing nominal can, Christianity. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the, the, the term that came to mind. I don't even know whose term it is, but that easy, easy believism, right? right? That it, it used to be, the, the, there used to be a cultural pressure to be a Christian, and now it's not there. And so you're seeing those who are there because there was cultural pressure removing themselves from the church. And I think what, what happens when that happens is that the smaller church becomes more potent. And when the church becomes more potent, then we have the effect on culture and, and society that we ought to. And the, you know, like when you talk about the scripture, it's a, it, I mean, you look at it, it's a, what we have is all about exile. Yeah. Like you look at all of Paul's letters. I mean, we, a couple of years ago, went, took the year and went through first uh, Corinthians uh, Thistleton and some of these guys, maybe, I think maybe a hundred people in yep. Corinth, right. like a major city. And this is what I mean. I think I echo what you're saying. When we talk about crisis, come on, man, like, yeah. you know, a hundred, uh, 250,000 people in Corinth and a, maybe a hundred believers that are meeting in homes. Right. Um, right. The, I, I know there's no, there's more people saying, okay, we're in exile. There's, it's different, yeah. but that's a good motif to look at it, but as well, not to hit the panic button in right. the sense of like and, but, but history. You know, <laughs> let's, let's, use some of those stats and some of the facts and say, Hey, yeah, let's redouble our efforts yep. to take the gospel, you right. know, to people who haven't heard or to people who have heard it and not believed it or to people who have heard what they thought was the gospel. And it isn't let's again, what you suggested earlier, let's not ignore them just because they're not saying exactly what we think they are, but let's use that as an impetus to do what we're supposed to be doing. Right. And just and just to kind of uh, go full circle back and, and remind ourselves and maybe our listeners why we call ourselves the Rebel Alliance here. This is the, the, the point here is that we love Star Wars, um, but Star Wars tells the story, the original trilogy of the Death Star being destroyed and the Rebels victory over uh, the Empire. 
Uh, but when the movie ends and everybody's cheering, there's still uh, an entire galaxy that's controlled by the Empire. And the rebels still have to go out into the galaxy and liberate all of these worlds and all of these people from galactic tyranny. And so, you know, the story as rebels in this world are that we are the minority and we are fighting for the change under the banner of King Jesus. Uh, we're going in and liberating people from a worldview that, that keeps them in darkness and keeps them in chains. So right. that's a great way of looking at it. I always say to our, our crew, uh, you know, there's probably in a lot of people, this rebel mentality what greater than the church right now where it's possible? I always say yeah. that the church is more like indie rock than it is Beyonce, right? Like, <laughs> and seriously, yeah, we're in a moment good. in time where, uh, you know, and especially with millennials where popular culture, you know, now there's like a little bit of suspect. If you want to join in on the, the minority movement, right. it is, it's the church. It's That's the church, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, there's something about our culture that seems to get that idea that, unpopular is popular or like uncool yep. is cool. And, uh, and yeah, absolutely. If, if that's something that God can use to, uh, to rally people and, uh, and the, and the reality is, is that in all of our discussions here, we know that Jesus said, you know, I'll build my church. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, yeah. um, we all believe the words of King Jesus. Uh, yeah. and when he says he he'll build his church, we trust that he will. So, um, we just want to be a part of that and we want to be a part of building the real church. And, uh, and so uh, we're never in crisis when, when Jesus is guaranteed that he's the one who's going to do the building. Yeah. I bet you you'll never have a Beyonce on your Beyonce reference on your podcast ever again. <laughs> well, I was, I was thinking of, we might steal that line. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> It's going to become a new tagline and we're not even going to reference Drew. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you all the glory for it right now, Drew. Wonderful. Well, good discussion, guys. Um, as always, let's wrap up with the Christian life hack. Um, before I do that, I just want to remind you, share, like. If you like what you heard today, feel free to comment. Hit that like button. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, give us a review and give us a five-star rating. I'm going to ask you today, Nate. Um, you play softball. We loosely call that a sport. So <laughs> how do you glorify God when you're out there playing sports? Uh, it's a good question. I, I, I'll, I'll just put a quick plug in. I, I think that Christians, uh, should be, uh, finding ways, whether it's sports or something else to be interacting with. Uh, sometimes we get so caught in our Christian bubbles and we don't interact with anybody. For me, playing sports is a way for me to develop relationships with non-Christians. So, uh, how do I do that? Number one, uh, you can't be the jerk on the field, right? <laughs> like you can't, you can't be the guy arguing with the umps. You can't be the guy taking it too seriously. And I struggle with that. Like, honestly, so Jude's out. <laughs> yeah, my, my competitive nature, uh, comes out and, and it's an opportunity for sanctification. So number one, don't be the jerk on the field. And then number two, um, really invest in those relationships. We, our whole episode today, we were talking about the church and whether or not we're in crisis and we were talking about exile. And I'm just reminded of, uh, in Jeremiah 29, uh, the instructions God gives to the Israelites who are in exile. He said, you know, make homes there, settle down, take root, have kids, uh, seek the welfare of the city. And so the, the point there being is get involved in the lives of the people that you're, uh, in the midst of. So, um, use, use sports and use recreational activities as a way to develop relationships with non-Christians and preach the gospel to them. Do it relationally, do it uh, intelligently, but uh, preach the gospel to them and, uh, and, and don't be the jerk on the field. Sounds like good advice to me. Well, that's all for the podcast today. Hope you have a great week, guys. Mm -hmm.